The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world, but we look at it through the prism of our Catholic social values. And um, Tom Dobbins is here with us, and Tom lines up very interesting guests for us each week. And Yolanda, make sure that um, that you can hear us. And so we're delighted to be with you again in the middle of summer. I hope that all of you are getting a little bit of a downtime this, this summer. And uh, that's why one of the topics we're going to talk about uh, this week is, um, is, is ice cream, because whenever I think of summer, I think of, of ice cream. And I guess I should ask Tom this, because uh, he's kind of our resident expert on this. Uh, Tom, am I understanding correctly that uh, we're adding a seventh principle of Catholic social teaching, that ice cream is part of God's will for the pursuit of happiness by humankind? <laughs> I think so, Monsieur. I think that should actually probably be the first of our principles of Catholic social teaching. I think that should be, um, you know, first first and foremost. Uh, the Because, uh, you know, it, that goes right up there to me, ice cream with the life and dignity of the human person. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, listen, you, you're our expert on this, so if you want to move that up, that is fine. So, Tom, let me uh, ask you, do you like ice cream? I do, Monsignor. I would say ice cream is like my, uh, probably of the food groups, my very favorite. I know it's not actually very healthy, um, but it is like one of my favorite food groups. So I was going to say, um, from that perspective, I think it just, um, you know, for me, like if I had to ever choose anything that I could have, like for the rest of my life, like when I get older, ice cream would be right up there on the top of my list. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's... Um... That is that is good. Um, how has your summer been going? It's okay, Monsignor. You know, I mean, um, the weather so far here in New York has been very lovely. I mean, I think it's just been it's you know it's been it's been terrific. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's been sunny, but it hasn't been too humid, which I'm glad for. So I'm kind of hoping for the next few weeks, you know, that the weather will kind of hold because I know August can sometimes be you know the dog days of summer. Okay, you get it. You. Uh, you getting getting a, away at all? I'm going to try and do a, a, a staycation, Monsignor, um, because I think, you know, with with the pandemic still going on, I don't really know where else to go. Um, I might be going down to the Jersey Shore. I have a friend down there. She lives down there. Okay. So I might actually be going down there to kind of get a couple of days. But other than that, you know, there's still plenty of things in New York City you can do. You can go to Central Park. You can, you know... Uh, Go to any, one of those other, you know, lesser known parks that are really nice. So I'm just looking forward to a staycation here. Okay. Okay. So that's, um, so let me recommend, because I did this a couple of years ago for a little bit. What I might recommend is why don't you take a walk um, for part of the time around the perimeter of Manhattan Island? That way you'll be able to kind of see the various water, you know, the water stuff, uh, whether you know, the Hudson River, the East River, that that can be a, you know, nice two or three hour uh, walk that you take. I remember, Monsieur, when you did that. And to me, 
you know, that was actually one of the neatest things I ever heard about. I remember you saying, was it, I guess it wasn't last summer. I think it was the summer before that. It was. And you said it you was. went, you went around the entire Island. Yeah. I didn't do it all at once. I did it in four, um, you know, four quadrants. So about three hour walk or three and a half hour walk each time. And I did it early in the morning and it was really, really uh, a nice thing to do. So um, nowadays you pretty much can, not completely, but you can walk around Manhattan Island because there is kind of a pathway, not completely. They still need to complete some of it, but um, you know, it might be something to do and you can decide whether you want to do Northern Manhattan, Southern Manhattan, East or West and, um, or as much as you want to do. No, I, I think, you know, I mean, from my perspective, I just, you know, cause I, I mean, when you think about it, you know, like it wasn't really until last year when, when, you know, the, in the middle of the pandemic that, um, you know, I really kind of thought about it and thought we were on an Island. Cause I did kind of small tokens of that one senior. And what I did was I would kind of just, cause really there wasn't much else to do. So I would literally just walk on the East river. I would walk up and down up to Gracie mansion and back, or I would walk on the West side. And it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it, it's not until you get over to those river portions that you really do realize you know, that we do live on an island. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's, um, it's very interesting. You know, for those of you in the rest of the rest of the, the country, uh, New York City has some very, very interesting kind of uh, topographical uh, things about it. I mean, one of it is, well, we have five counties or five boroughs that make up New York City. Um, all of them, but one, are either an island itself or part of an island. Only one of those boroughs, the Bronx, is actually connected to the mainland of the United States. So I think we all know about Manhattan Island and we know the you know historical issue of Manhattan Island being sold or purchased for you know tokens and a relic at $24, I think is the number that they, they come up with. And so, uh, you know, we know Manhattan's an island and um, Staten is an island. It has it is in, in its name. And Brooklyn or Queens are kind of the westernmost part of Long Island. So it sounds that's surrounded by the ocean and Long Island, and Long Island Sound and the East River. So there's a lot of kind of interesting pieces. In order to get them, you got bridges and you, you have tunnels. And so as you walk around, there comes some very, very interesting stuff that you can see. It's not just, you know, as maybe people might think, you know, big, tall buildings and concrete. You know, when you walk around the outside, the perimeter of the island, there's a lot of stuff that is uh, that is there. So um, anyway, so as we're you know, I, um, Tom, do we have our guest to talk about um, about ice cream yet? He's actually, Monsieur, he's having a little trouble getting into right. our Zoom call. So we're trying no. to troubleshoot him. Okay, no problem at, at <laughs> all. And, you know, he can call in by phone if Zoom is not working, but that's perfectly okay. Yep. Um, so one of the things I do want to wanted to speak about, so I'll talk about it now. I mean, it is all over the news and it's continued to be a a story um, is the withdrawal of Simone Biles from the Olympics. And uh, I I know there's been a lot of positive kind of reaction to that 
And I would just like to add um, kind of my voice, you know, from our Catholic perspective on this. Uh, and let me just say it this way. My work at Catholic Charities, you know, a lot of what we do is working with adults and young people who are experiencing some emotional problems, emotional challenges, mental illness. And I know from the work that we, we do, there still is a tremendous amount of, of stigma that is attached to mental illness. That's very sad because mental illness is illness. And as I've said, with regard to, um, you know, this situation with Simone uh, Biles is, you know, we would not even have the slightest kind of raising of many issues if, for whatever reason, she ruptured an Achilles tendon or uh, another muscle or a ligament or something like that. We would find that very, very understandable. And we'd say, oh, that's sad. It's, it's, it's too bad, etc." Well, you know, when somebody has a mental illness, it is an illness. And, you know, I think we have a harder time dealing with it because it's harder to explain. It's harder to get our hands around. You know, it's not physical in a sense. So you can't touch it. You can't see, you know, a leg in a walking boot or something like that. But it is just as real. And I just want to raise kind of my voice saying, I think it is a very, very, um, I'll use the word courageous for uh, Simone Biles, who is arguably one of the most accomplished um, athletes in the world, to be able to have the courage to stand up and to say, hey, wait a minute, um, I can't, I'm not going to compete because of this, this illness that I have. And uh, to do it, I think that is really, really something that we should note. And we should use it if we have ourselves issues that we maybe need to deal with, not to be afraid to deal with them, or in our loved ones, our families, our friends, if we could also, um, you know, encourage them to stand up. I do, you know, the other, the other very, very highly um, accomplished athlete who also you know, said she was going to withdraw was Naomi Osaka from the tennis tournament a month or so ago and saying that, you know, she just couldn't deal with some of the stuff there and that she needed some some space to deal with some of the emotional issues she was dealing with. You know, I I, I don't think, and I do point this out, you know, in, in this day when we've talked about it on the show, when we talk about, um, you know, some of the systemic inequality, we've talked about racism, some of those things that have been really part of what we are dealing with. I just want to take my hats off, and I hope this doesn't sound in any way um, inappropriate, but I do want to point out that the difficult, you know, publicly speaking about one's own struggles with emotional issues, mental illness, 
that the two people have done it very recently are relatively young adult women of color. And the courage that they displayed, I think, serves as a a really, really tremendous example and inspiration for all of us, not for tennis, not for gymnastics, but for the dignity of the human person, for the fact that we're called to be as whole as possible. We're called to fulfill our human potential. And if there are some difficulties that we're dealing with, the willingness to say that in an area where there is stigma, boy, I think we need to to kind of say an incredible word of appreciation and gratitude to those two young women for raising up those issues, which to many of us, you know, maybe uh, try to sweep under the rug, or some of us may even look down at people who deal with those issues, and we kind of just say things which are so inappropriate, like, snap out of it, you know, kind of just do it. What it, you, you, You're feeling sorry for yourself. Just get over it. Well, that's not the right approach. And, you know, too often I think we have, you know, we have done that. But so I just want to kind of raise a voice. And from our perspective, our Catholic perspective, and our perspective as Catholic charities, we know the number of individuals who struggle with mental illness And so that these two young women were able to kind of raise it up. And these two women were able to kind of say, hey, wait a minute, I need to deal with this. And I'm brave enough to say I need to deal with it. So I wanted to raise that up and say a word of of thanks to and appreciation and encouragement to our listeners. If we ourselves are dealing with an issue, not to be afraid to seek help, not to be afraid to kind of speak about it. And if we have friends and acquaintances, we also shouldn't be uh, afraid to encourage them to get the help that they need. So I wanted to use that uh, today to speak about that because it so is, is, is at the center of the dignity of the human person. And our belief is that the entire person is made in the image and likeness of God. Not just the soul, but our emotions, our our flesh, our physicality, all of that is part of uh, what is made in God's image and likeness and deserves dignity and respect. So with that, let's move on and go to what is really a little bit more upbeat topic, a summer topic of ice cream. We have Jim Brown with us who is the assistant manager of creamery operations, sales and marketing manager for Penn State's Berkey Creamery. Jim, thank you for being with us on Just Love. Okay, so we are having a little bit of difficulty with Jim. Hopefully he'll be with us in, in, just, a, uh, in just a moment. You know what, Tom? I think we will take a break. Okay, and Jim. When mm-hmm. we come back, hopefully we will... Uh, we'll speak with um, with Jim Brown uh, about summer and about ice cream. This is just love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. 
We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We are uh, on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, and uh, we talk about those issues that are topical, but we talk about them from the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. And one of the issues that is all over the media this day, these days is the issue of immigration, migration, refugees. And I am delighted that our next guest is somebody who I've kind of been fortunate to note for a number of years, who is one of the real experts in this area and over the years has made a major contribution in a positive way to our policies regarding immigrants and, and refugees. So I'm delighted that we will have the opportunity to, to speak with Don Kerwin, who is now the executive director of the Center for Migration uh, Studies. Um, Don, thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. Thank you, Monsignor. It's nice to be with you. Great. So um, 
So, so Don, um, give our listeners, I know you've been with us in the past a number of years ago, uh, but give our listeners a little bit, what, where'd you grow up and how'd you get, um, how'd you get interested in the area of immigration and immigration law and immigration policy? I, um, I grew up in Washington, D.C. My parents were kind of migrants from Connecticut and I, uh, I got into um, Catholic social teaching in high school based on a protest at a church. And the protest was about um, using church renovation funding for the homeless rather than for renovating the church. And that, that kind of lit me on fire a little bit and got me to thinking about like, you know, how we use our resources and uh, why, why we do what we do. And, and I started that, you know, work kind of, um, trying to model myself on Matthew 25, really. And that started when I was quite young. And I went to Peru after um, college and came back and went to law school and um, started to do an immigration clinic in law school. And my professor then was Alex Alenikoff, who uh, went on to be general counsel at the Immigration Service and deputy at UNHCR and dean at Georgetown Law School. So I've always worked with him as well and, you know, benefited a lot from working with him. I, I went to um, Catholic Legal Immigration Network, where I think we met a long time ago, 1992. And that was about the time that the Haitians were coming in from Guantanamo Naval Base screened in, and yet they needed legal representation. So I wasn't providing the legal representation, but I was um, trying to coordinate and expand legal services for Haitians around the the country at that time. And then I became the director of clinic, which, so, which, I, was, which I was for 16 years. So Don, thank you for a little bit of that, that background. Let's kind of get right up to the, to the present um, because um, the center for migrate migration studies, which has done for decades, tremendous work on the issue of immigration. Um, just a little bit earlier this month, you issued a, kind of report on the current crisis and the Catholic Church's work with immigrants uh, at the current time. Um, You want to speak a little bit about that report? Yeah, I mean, we have a process where we bring together all sorts of different types of Catholic institutions from charities to hospitals to legal programs, refugee programs, ethnic apostolates, parishes that serve immigrants in different ways. And um, and each year over the last five years, we've done surveys of them to ask them about what they're seeing in terms of immigrant needs, how they're trying to address those needs, and the kind of obstacles that they're facing in doing that. And um, this year it was, was a particularly interesting and important time to do that, of course, because we surveyed people at the end of 2020 and the beginning of um, 2021, which was, you know, the transitions of administrations, but also the, you know, right in the heart of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then there was all the racial injustice protests and, and the like. So we were particularly interested in seeing how they were dealing with the, um, and the people that they represent, of course, and serve and work with, were dealing with COVID and with um, the Trump policies and also you know were they doing anything innovative around racial justice and what you discovered 
I mean, I, I came away very, very proud of the Catholic institutions because, I mean, really what they were doing um, was a lot. They had really stepped up. They'd adapted. They'd, um, most had added services. Those that didn't add new services were expanding existing services. And, um, you know, the, they were providing financial assistance to people at risk of losing housing and utilities they were doing COVID-19 testing, education, contact tracing, even um, quarantine services in a couple of cases, expanded mental health services, grief support, you know, assistance with funeral expenses, delivery of food and sanitation to homebound um, people, uh, voter registration and census promotion, which was very important and an interesting finding. And, um, and a lot of, you know, extensive remote services, too. I mean, I'm sure, Monsignor, you, you know this better than anybody, but it was really, it was really edifying. And I was quite proud to, to be a part of this community, kind of hearing about all that they were doing at a time of great need for immigrants. Yeah, we're speaking with Don Kerwin, who is the executive director of the Center for Migration Studies. Um, and we're speaking about a very, very kind of, you know, enlightening and a little bit uplifting um, story about what our Catholic church institutions were doing with immigrants in the time of um, this pandemic. And as, as Don, you know, alluded to, given that, you know, I work in New York and our Catholic charities in New York services, the New York metropolitan area, which is a very, you know, heavy immigrant area, some of the things that he mentioned were things that we in Catholic Charities in New York were also involved with. You know, Don, one of the things that you mentioned, which I think is maybe worth just a little bit of a conversation, and given your background, it's something you would be very, very attuned to. Um, Sometimes I think when we think about immigration services or services to immigrants, we think about legal services. And as you headed clinic for a number of years, and we have a very strong legal immigration services in New York, we kind of almost sometimes focus on that. But in almost all of our other services, without even trying, or without even being intentional, if you have a food program, you're going to serve immigrants because they're in the community. So you want to say a little word about kind of the legal services and the non-legal services, how those play out? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And um, of course, the legal services are very important. But with my background being legal, this this project's been very interesting to me because I've found that there's so much overlap and so many um, different institutions serving immigrants in different ways. And sometimes even in the same ways, you know, I mean, clinic was working with um, dioceses and Catholic charities on um, improving, expanding, strengthening their immigration legal programs, but come to find that parishes are doing legal work and they're doing food banks and they're doing, I mean, a number of parishes are doing all sorts of things with immigrants. And, um, and so that's, that's been great in in hospitals, for example, working with refugees and um, universities working with DACA students and, you know, on and on and on. And when you pull all that together, it's a, it's really a beautiful picture of engagement with immigrants 
at a, at a time of um, great difficulty for them, certainly during the Trump administration and even today. And, um, and then add COVID to that where, you know, they're disproportionately essential workers, but excluded from federal programs. Um, Catholic agencies really stepped up and st- stepped up in all of their various dimensions. Yeah, it, it, as you mentioned, you know, whether it be universities or, or hospitals, you know, I do think as one of our core values as, as Catholic agencies, we say that if an immigrant has a need and we can meet that need, um, it's not, we don't turn anybody away simply because of their immigration status. Now, in some of the programs that we operate, we can't always serve them in some of the programs because there are prohibitions against that. Um, but, uh, but most Catholic agencies figure out how to, how to still help that individual, even if they can't do it through a particular program. They'll find another way that, that they can do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that it goes to it goes to core Catholic teaching. I mean, we're all children of God, and something like legal status, immigration status, is you know relatively unimportant in that in that yeah. perspective. And I and um, yeah, you serve a person based on need, not because they have a particular status or they're from a particular group or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and so I think that you know it's a it's a very good moment for the church to. As it, as it always is, to speak strongly on these issues. Yeah. I'll share with you, uh, Donna, with our listeners, something that, that happened in New York. And, uh, you know, we are we're very, very blessed in New York um, with, some, with some very, very successful people who have a certain amount of wealth, but also have, in addition to that, have a tremendous amount of of kind of a social conscience. And so a number of New Yorkers got together in the pandemic and they put together a pool of money in the millions of dollars that they specifically said, um, we want you to distribute this to people regardless of their immigration status. And particularly, we want you to pay attention to people who for whatever reason may not have been eligible for certain federal programs. And so we and a few other agencies in New York, we, we distributed, you know, millions of dollars of direct financial assistance to a lot of immigrants who weren't qualified for some of the other, other programs. And, you know, that's just one of the realities of ways, ways that, you know, the funding of things plays out. Yeah. I mean, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the the name of your show here, Just Love, because it's an issue of love, but it's also an issue of justice in this case, because, you know, the immigrants are here, they're members of our community, they're contributing, they're co-religionists, and, they're, and they're, they themselves are stepping up in an enormous way during the pandemic, you know, and putting themselves at very significant risk. Yeah, you know, so let's talk a little bit, because I know you... Um you 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 can speak to this to this issue um what's gone wrong with us as a country that we can't figure out how to fix 
some of the legal problems in our immigration system? I mean, that's a little bit of a rhetorical question, but it's also a real question as are we ever going to be able to do something to correct some of the things that are that are that are that have created problems? Yeah, I mean, you're I mean, you're absolutely right. It's been um, the last time we had an overhaul of our immigration system is 1965. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's 56 years ago. And the world has changed quite a bit since then. The last uh, legalization program we had was 1986. You know, under our current laws, you have to be here for more than 50 years to benefit from a legalization program. The DACA um, bills have been before Congress for more than 20 years now. I mean, you have DACA recipients that are grandparents now. I mean, it's really so it's not a question of not knowing how to do it. We do know how to do it, and the bishops and others have been proposing ways to do it. It's it's an issue of political political will, and and um, and it and it goes deep too because it's not a it's it's about treating people as something less than you know fully human. I think, and uh, there's a real nativist component to it, and you're just basically using people as a means to a political end. And to me, it's unacceptable. I, I, I must say, Monsignor. This report celebrates um, the work of Catholic institutions, but there's a lot of Catholics that aren't with us on this, and we should stop acting like, you know, we're unified on these issues. If you think about a lot of the champions of the bad policies during the Trump administration, and even a lot of the Catholic press isn't great on these issues. So, like, I feel like after 30 years of doing this work, you know, it's, it's time to address some of those things pretty frontally. And... And uh, yes, we know that the good statements come out, good advocacy is going on, good proposals are going forward, but a lot of the Catholics are working across purposes to Catholic teaching and Catholic policy positions on these things. And in fact, it's one of our, it's one of our proposals is that enough already with, you know, we're, we're all unified on this, we're not. And, um, and there needs to be some kind of organized program to address that. So, Don, I think you're right on target. How do we, what, what, you know, we'll put you in charge. <laughs> but how do we do it? What do we do? I mean, I, I, I think, in, you know, to a certain extent, people don't, still don't fully understand the immigration issue and what a messed up system we have. You know, for example, you know, the undocumented, do they know that, almost 4 million of them have been tentatively approved for family-based visas, but are in backlogs that in a lot of cases exceed their life expectancy. I mean, I don't think that that's fully understood, you know, Um, there's, but there's also a lack of like personal identification with immigrants. It's really troubling. I mean, they don't, yes, I, you know, I like this person or that person, but there's, but there's not a recognition of that they're co-religionists and they're absolutely integral to our communities and churches at this point. And I think that that just has to be said candidly. And I, I don't know why, you know, certain politicians that are Catholic get a free ride on with some of the things that they do and say about immigrants either, which they do, you know, I mean, other issues, they're all over Catholic politicians, but on this one, which is, you know, as Pope Francis has said, is not a second class, secondary issue. It's a core Catholic issue. Uh, people just get a pass, you know. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think you're, you're right. And, you know, you're alluding to, or you, you are alluding to the fact that, again, when it comes to, I think, uh, politics in this country, we have a great, I mean, I point out a statistic, which I think is, you know, nobody really argues against it, is that, you know, when you, when you have a presidential election and you do your exit polling, give or take a couple of percentage points, you know, this four years, you get a couple of about 50%, give or take, voting for one party, 50% voting for the other, you know, and it switches back and forth. The next time you'll get 52 one way, 47 the other way. Now, to me, that's half and half. I mean, you can, you can do it. So you got a lot of division that is there. And one of the issues that always raises, raises up is the importance of the life issue and the importance of, of abortion as being, you know, to use the word uh, that I think the bishops use, a preeminent issue. But as I, I point out to everybody, um, preeminent is not the same word as exclusive. Mm-hmm. And, and so while, while we don't say that all issues are equal, but at the same time, we say that there is more than one issue that is important. And I think, you know, but we have a great divide, I think, among Catholics of that, because I think there are, you know, a fair number of Catholics who would probably in their own mind say, well, this is the one issue that I'm going to vote on, you know, and, and so we have a great, I think, divide within our, you know, within our community of faith about some of those, those, uh, those issues. Um, so but, I think, but I think, you know, Monsignor too, that some of these, some, of, I mean, a lot of bishops are now saying that uh, uh, immigration issues are life issues of a certain kind, you know, and, um, and they are life and death issues for some populations. You know, you can't have programs like the Trump administration had where they're returning people fleeing for their lives to, you know, cartel controlled towns where they're getting kidnapped, where they're getting killed, where they're getting raped, et cetera. And that's right. all well documented right. and not have Catholics denounce that, not have Catholics speak against that or, you know, separating children as they're you know yeah. screaming from their parents. I mean, that's that's pretty raw. And, and there weren't a lot of like of a certain kind of Catholic politicians that were speaking against that. They were kind of applauding that. That was tough. Yeah. And that was about sovereignty. And that was and I think that's shameful. I really do. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think that, you know, and I mean, I also I mean, point out this is just factual that, you know, you, you know, it, it's interesting the divide that we have among Catholics with regard, you know, with regard to that. And I think you are, you are right. I think, um, you know, again, my experience is that, that those issues kind of go across the board. I mean, in, in New York, we have, a, and probably New York is not a great example of some of this because on that issue of immigration, yeah, I think we probably have a greater consensus, not perfect, than we have in you know some other parts of the the country. But I think you're right; it is a real difficult difficult issue. I have to say, and this is me speaking, is that um, I do think part of the political divide, and it's not only on the immigration issue, 
is that I do think um, there is uh, on one side a little bit of talking down to the other side and maybe on the other side a little bit of yelling and screaming about about things. And so at the end of the day, you don't have anybody really talking to each other. I will share with you, Don, uh, something that happened. It's a number of years now in one of the kind of suburban parishes of New York, up in an area which uh, Rockland County, which is an area that, you know, would probably have a lot of different people there. You know, it's it's not wouldn't be considered the most liberal. It wouldn't be considered whatever a lot strong Jewish community, strong Catholic community. So a lot a lot of things going on there. So one of the parishes there, they invited me to be part of a conversation among the parishioners. And the pastor did a great job of putting in the room about 15 people who had different approaches to the issue. The conversation was a great conversation. It's a little bit hard, always civil, but it was a little bit hard. And there were two people who were going at it because, well, people are illegal. They We can't let illegals in. Well, don't you understand the pain that they have? And don't you understand they're paying tax? So it was kind of the typical issue going back. And they were really going at it. Civil, but really. So the meeting ends. The meeting ends, and as one is going to the other, says to him, hey, Bob, remember, you're coaching my Little League team next week because I'm on vacation. He said, oh, yeah, I remember. We're going to practice on Monday afternoon, and then we have the game on Wednesday. Well, to me, that's not a bad thing at all, Right. you know, that Hmm. you can disagree on policy without necessarily – you know, really going cutthroat after the other person. But, but I, 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 I mean, I agree with that. I think it's, I think it's, and the church is kind of um, in a good position to do that because it can point to touchstones. You know, you can, you can disagree on policy, but you have to respect human dignity. You have to respect human rights. You have to, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I what I find is I've been in a common ground discussions, you know, at different times and they are valuable but I, I sometimes wonder, like, are those the touchstones that that people are, are are coming to this issue with? And I sometimes they are, sometimes sometimes they aren't. I think. Yeah, and I and I think the challenge, and I don't know how you get beyond it. The challenge is that you usually get in those conversations, people who are at least have the door a little bit ajar to listen to one. It's it's those who, you know, are are on you know, completely closed, who usually don't participate in those, you know, in those conversations. And that's a real challenge I think we have as a country at the moment. Yeah. And the press is, you know, there's quite a bit of vilification that goes on in the press and absolutism. And I don't, I don't think that's helpful at all. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, Don, as we look at what's going on, do you see any areas that we should, you know, assuming for a moment that, there's not going to be a big comprehensive immigration reform bill. Um, are there a couple of areas, any areas where you think there might be the possibility for us moving the needle legally in the right, in, in a good direction? 
I mean, I think that there's, look, Republican leadership, you know, rank and file and uh, Democrats, of course, you know, have been supportive of doing something for DACA recipients and hopefully a, a broader group than that, you know, the DREAM Act eligible. I don't know why that doesn't happen, why it hasn't happened in 20 years, but it's it's really quite shameful. There's there's no reason that that's that, that hasn't passed in some kind of a bipartisan way. And it does I think it does it does require, you know, members, you know, talking to each other again and, and trying to kind of put politics aside to a, to a certain extent. And um, yeah. there's quite a bit of, you know, administrative um, relief and programs that are existing now, too, as, as you know, and I'm sure Catholic Charities is involved in implementation of a lot of those, you know, the various TPS programs and right. deferred and forced departure, those it's not great, but it's better than, you know, the, the alternative. Right. You know, what about, what about what you mentioned, which I was not aware of the numbers that you basically say there are of the undocumented. Um, what number do you, what number does the center for migrant studies use for an estimate of the number of undocumented in the country? Yeah, we do, we do our own estimates. You know, we have a, um, a former demographer from the Census Bureau, and he was head of statistics at INS, who actually invented the uh, methodology to determine the size of the undocumented and has been pretty much perfecting it ever since. And uh, we think that the numbers have gone down from 11.7 to about 10.3 million, which is still a very large population, but nonetheless, and that's driven mostly by Mexican undocumented departures from that population right. and departures from the country. Right. And, um, and, but you have to look within that group. That's the thing, you know, it's people in the, in the visa backlog. It's, um, it's, it's dreamers, you know, people right. that were brought here as children, about a third. It's, um, I was amazed to see that over the last 10 years, the number who have been here for 20 years or more went from 28% to 42%. Or excuse me, 15 years or more to 15 years or more, 42% of the undocumented have been here. I mean, at some point, forget about the the policy disagreements. Doesn't it get ridiculous? Right. Can we just agree that that's ridiculous? Somebody's here, they have kids, they have, they've made their lives, they're working. We need their labor. We depend on their labor, you know, they're members of our churches, et cetera, you know? And um, so it's, it's a, it's kind of cast as a big population, but you have to kind of look who's in there. Right. And I, I, I think that's, but, but you said there are, again, I don't know if you saw this and I know you, you use your numbers, but there was some, something within the past couple of weeks, which basically said the use of that 10, 11 million is grossly on grossly underestimated. Um, I have to say, I read the piece, I wasn't quite sure if I if I bought the logic of it. Do you know why some people are are saying there are a lot more than that? Um, they they think that. Um, I mean, first of all, all the serious people that do this right. think that the numbers are around ten or eleven, and right. the the um, the restrictionist think tank, the Center for Immigration Studies, right. agrees with that. You know, right. so. Um, there, there, there was a group of professors that, you know, came in with estimates that are two times as high. And right. those have been roundly 
refuted and, right. and corrected. Um, I think you know, like one of the things that they say is that this is based on census data and the undocumented aren't counted in census right. data, but that's not, you know, they, they have methodologies which they use to deal with undercount and, you know, it's, it's, they're quite credible. So I don't, I just think that they're totally wrong about that. Okay. All right, Don, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, there was a lot that was very encouraging about what the church is actually doing in immigrant communities, but discouraging about some of the remedies that we probably aren't going to uh, see in the, near, in the near future. But uh, Don Kerwin, the executive director, the Center for Migra Migration Studies. Don, thanks so much for being a guest on Just Look. Thank you, Monsignor. Great to talk to you. Good, great. Uh, okay, let's take a break. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Join us when we come back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor.
to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. And uh, we look at it from our Catholic perspective. Tom, share with us a little bit of the news notes about what about this partnership of the United States and the Vatican over water? Sure, Monsignor. Well, you know, uh, from the beginning, it always seemed like the Biden administration and Pope Francis would see eye to eye on many social issues. And it turns out now that one of those issues that they're going to find some surprising connection is is water. Um, As it turns out, um, small investments in water, sanitation and hygiene, um, including those investments made by the Catholic Church, are able to get uh, the furthest to reach communities in sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America and Asia and around the world and have great impact. Adam Phillips, who is the director of the Center for Faith-Based Neighborhood Partnerships and Local Faith Transformation Partnerships at USAID, is is in Rome to kind of talk about these partnerships. And from his perspective, he basically was quoted as saying, if you don't have clean water in a maternity ward, for instance, you're going to have a ripple effect on the healthcare systems that affect that child and that family and that community. So for his part, he's in Rome this week, and he's over there talking to folks at the Vatican about how uh, USAID and the Vatican can work together. And I could just give you some statistics, Monsignor. According to the United Nations, some 2.2 billion people lack access to safe drinking water around the world. More than half the global population doesn't have sanitation. Over 3 billion people aren't able to wash their hands with soap and water on a regular basis. And an estimated 673 million people practice open uh, going to the bathroom because people lack access to toilets. And the health consequences of this are staggering when seen, especially for children. UNICEF reports that over 700 children die every day around the world because of diarrheal disease and other diseases related to water, sanitation, and hygiene problems. So what's the Vatican going to do about it? Well, the Vatican basically, as uh, they have, uh, going back to the very beginning, going back to earlier this year, um, they have kind of highlighted water projects as being one of those projects that they're going to get behind. And the Vatican Diacastry for Social Development is one of those folks who acts as a convener. And they're bringing together women religious groups. They're bringing together groups such as Caritas and Catholic Relief Services to kind of figure out what together can be done to kind of, if you will, move the needle on water and sanitation, make that a much more important issue. And this is something that Senior Catholic Relief Services has been working on, God, since uh, I traveled with them to Africa back in 2010. And the main focus of that trip was water and sanitation. So this is something that has been, you know, within their purview for a long time. And I think they're looking to move the needle forward to be something that to raise awareness of it. And I think to kind of make a real impact and if they have a partner with USAID, so much the better. Tom, am I, am I correct, not in, in kind of looking at some stuff over the years, that we are doing better in terms of the of potable water that the that uh, developing nations are getting better, that there is a, a higher percentage of access to that? Yes, there is, Monsieur. Well, you know, I mean, I think that what a lot of these communities have done is traditionally they always would have, let's say they would go down to like the local pond and they would take their drinking water and also the water they used to feed their animals and to bathe from the same source. Now what's happening is a lot of um, development agencies are going in and helping them to sink wells. So they're getting water from the water table that's underground, which is much safer. And that has saved the lives of so many children around the world. But of course, when you look at 
you know, when you look at the number and 700 children die every day for diarrhea disease, that's something that we can do something about. And that's something we should try to do something. about. Yeah, it, it, it is. So anyway, Tom, that, that's a very, you know, that's very good, very concrete um, uh, thing. And I'm glad that you, you brought it up and it is an area. I mean, obviously uh, we have some significant policies in the United States, um, you know, not merely um, abortion and the way the current administration, uh, their role in kind of in, in that issue where we have strong, strong disagreement. And uh, but there are other areas in which we do have agreement and, and working together to kind of foster the common good. Thank you for being with us on Just Love. Just Love God, Just Love Your Neighbor, Just Love Yourself. Our world will be more just and will be more compassionate. Join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.